0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Once again, we're down for the ISCA Regional Swim Meet for my seven and nine-year-old daughters. Uh, It's been a full week, actually. Uh, They swim the prelims during the day. And then I go at night to watch them swim the finals, and my wife is an official. So uh, it's been great, but I had a really unique opportunity. I ran into a bunch of interesting people down here, but first off... um, uh, you know, I had a chance to meet Bobby Fink at the meet. He's, he swam in the St. Petersburg Club, won two gold medals, uh, 800 is most famous. And I asked him when I met him, I said, you know, what happened in that last lap? Because he went into that last lap uh, of the 800 free uh, in fourth place. And then he just turned into a monster and, and won the gold medal. I mean, he just came out of nowhere and he shifted gears. And he just shot out of the gate, and he looked at me. You know, and I was like, "What was you know What was your secret? How did you just turn it on? Is that something that you've practiced? Is that something you've thought about?" And he looked at me like just complete deadpan. He goes, "Yeah, I've I've never swam a last lap that fast in my entire career." <laughs> so it was just kind of one of those things. But uh, what a great guy! Got pictures with the kids. Uh, here's my little one, the seven-year-old Annabelle uh, picked up a medal last night. Mimi did as well. I don't have that uploaded yet. But uh, it's it's been a great trip. And then on um, Tuesday night, our first night here, we were eating at Bella Vista or something like that in St. Petersburg and uh, for the team meeting. And I look across... And it's Kathy Wood of the ARC funds, the ARC ETF. She's got $52 billion across her funds. So I walk over and introduce myself. I thought she lived in California. She actually lives a town over from me in Connecticut. She was the nicest person you could ever meet. She was there with a friend. And... Um, um, so I'll meet her for uh, coffee or something when we get back to Connecticut. But uh, uh, I think she's moving her firm down there, down to Florida, which uh, which I can't blame her, that's that's amazing. But uh, it's a lot of lot of cool things happening in Tampa, that's for sure. But I, I still like Connecticut, and uh, we'll kick off this uh theme for this week with this with this Warren Buffett quote. He says, long ago, Ben Graham taught me that price is what you pay, value is what you get. Whether we're talking about socks or stocks, I like buying quality merchandise when it's marked down. And that's really been the theme, and that's what we do, and that's our knitting. The, the question is, if that's so easy, if you just buy quality merchandise while it's, while it's marked down, why doesn't everyone do it? And the reason that everyone doesn't do it is because when you're buying things that uh, quality things that are marked down, they don't often, um, they take a little time to rebound and realize their full intrinsic value. And most people want to see uh, profits overnight. And that's why they, over time, don't wind up doing as well as people that take a longer view and buy deep in, intrinsic value uh, with a catalyst that can get, that can revert to its normal earnings power and cash flow trend over time and um, and that 's where the opportunity is so If it was easy, everyone would do it, and we just try to walk you through each week on on how we think about things and how to get through those short term periods when the intrinsic value is not being met and uh, and and then how we get to the other side of it so uh, we went through a, a few great examples last year. As a matter of fact, it uh, looks like Wells is back on fire uh, this week after the jobs report. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, today I was on uh, Yahoo Finance. I want to thank uh, Sarah Smith and Ivana Friedas for having me on with uh, Kristen Myers and with Alexis Christophoris. And this was a, an interesting segment. Uh, I was on to talk about a number of things. Uh, First off, was the non farm payrolls report. Uh, The jobs report today blew the doors off. 943,000 versus 870,000 estimated. The unemployment rate fell to uh, 5.4% from 5.9% versus estimated of 5.7%. Average hourly earnings did tick up uh, four tenths of a percent. Uh, So we are seeing it in wages. So we got to keep our eye on that as it relates to uh, inflation. And, um, and the number of unemployed people went down from, eight point, uh, from 9.3 million to 8.7 million, which is a big improvement, albeit it's still much higher than pre-pandemic, which was 5.7 million. But the, how did the market respond? As you would expect, the market... Um, basically, Treasury yields increased up to 129 basis points. And just think, a, a few weeks ago, it was just at 113 basis points. So they took off. Uh, money came out of tech. Money went into the reopening trade, cyclicals, banks, energy, uh, etc. And and while we have this this uh, view over the next three to five years that that's, that's uh going to continue to be a great trade. I don't think that what happened today is a reason to dump out of everything else but and just jump 100% back into banks and 100% back into energy uh, exclusively. Uh, Obviously, we have our core positions across the board. But uh, I I think you're going to just see this back and forth. And then you have light light summer volume on, on top of it. Uh, the biggest gains, obviously, were in leisure and hospitality, three hundred eighty thousand uh, jobs. Two thirds of those was restaurants and bars. Uh, education was up two sixty one. Manufacturing up twenty seven thousand, and um, and that's basically it. The stay at home trade was down. The cyclicals, the reopening was up. I think that's a knee jerk reaction. I do think that there will be some pockets of value across different sectors. Uh, That continue to do well and if banks and energy continue to get bid that would be great as well because they have sold off and we're going to be talking about because a lot of people came into August and September really concerned expecting a big crash and what we're going to see is that we've already gotten those mini crashes in many sectors over the last uh, three, you know, handful of weeks to a couple of months. While tech was going up, the rest of the market was crashing. And, and that was some of the reason that people were expecting a crash. They said, oh, weak breath, weak breath, only a few stocks are going up. Um, so we'll talk about that in, in this session. Um, the other thing that I wanted to cover was how do you deal with that? And um, I'm going to com- kind of combine two I was on the Klayman Countdown on Monday with uh, Liz Klayman, and it was the same thing. First off, thanks to Liz and Ellie Terrett for having me on Monday, and it was the same type of question um, with the Stock Traders' Almanac. Uh, indicating that August and September are weak for the last 33 years. By the way, if you look back over the last 90 years, when we were an agrarian economy or more of an agrarian economy in the early part, actually August was a good month. But of late, uh, obviously in an industrialized and information, uh, August has been weaker. So what do you do? And I said you use the dips to buy high-quality stocks that have pulled back in recent weeks. Uh, And the three picks that we gave, which – uh, we also covered one of them on uh, Yahoo today was Citigroup trading at uh, 0.87 times tangible book. That will uh, normalize to one to two times tangible book as, as we continue to recover. Uh, it's trading at eight and a half times next year's earnings versus its historic multiple of 12 times. It's a turnaround story as Jane Frazier has brought the efficiency ratio down from 64 down to 52.9 through cost cutting. Anything below 50 is great. And you're gonna see more credit reserves released uh, that'll come back as earnings. And you're gonna see commercial loan demand. We've started to see some anecdotal uh, data that uh, supports that certainly uh, in the second half of this year and and the first uh, quarter plus of next year, that's gonna just skyrocket the commercial loan demand. And you get a 3% dividend yield uh, while you're paid to wait. Uh, The second one I chose was Dollar Tree. And the reason I chose Dollar Tree you saw in Amazon earnings, they missed the top line last week. And that's because people are getting back out and about. Uh, and I think the uh, uh, in-person retailers are starting to benefit from that. Dollar Tree is one that, again, high quality that's pulled back a lot in the last couple of months as tech has outperformed. And uh, trading at 14.5 times next year's earnings versus 18 times historic multiple. Um, as I said, the online is slowing, so so the, they should be a beneficiary. The average ticket was up nine and a half percent last quarter. They had the best same store comp since 2017, up 4.7 percent. And why was the stock down? Because uh, their guidance was light as a result of short term spike in shipping and freight costs, which are going to go away over time. And as that normalized, we're going to see this thing work back up and, and start to make new highs. Same with Citigroup. And then finally is Intel uh, trading at eight and a half, eight point eleven point eight times next year's earnings versus historically 15 times. It's got the lion's share of the PC and server processor markets. The server processor will be the main growth driver in the short term, yields 2.5% while you, while you wait. Uh, that uh, Global Foundries deal would be revolutionary. It remains to be seen if that will actually get done. Um, Thou dost protesteth, the uh, CEO of Global Foundries, but uh, it would become a behemoth if that did happen. That would certainly be a nice catalyst. If it doesn't happen, it's just at this point, quality merchandise marked down. You just got to wait through until it recovers uh, and starts to make new highs. But I think... Uh, over the next couple of years, this can be a seventy five to ninety five dollar plus stock um, and um, uh, so so that 's that then um, so that was what what I was covered on liz 's show in on Yahoo I had a bit more time um, had some things prepared with regard to earnings if you look now um, Uh, actually the the estimates we'll just jump ahead a little bit here actually Uh, this just came in uh, estimates for next year are now up to 218.04 from 217 and change last week uh, for 2022 for 2021 they jumped up to 200 no one would have believed that Um, the earnings growth uh, is now eighty. 88.8%. 88.8%. If you remember, the estimates were 63%. I said we're going to come in well over 70%. Well, not only did we come over 70%, we are coming in close to 90%. That's the good news. The bad news is everyone's going to use that to say peak growth. It's certainly going to be peak growth rate, but we're still going to grow. If you look at um, uh, 2022 estimates, I think they're still too low. I do think those are going to work their way up to... 230 plus and maybe even more and then what that's going to do is going to take this forward multiple down from 21 times to 19 times the market's going to look a lot more reasonable in the face of that and uh, the other thing that I I'd intended to cover on Yahoo but they, we, they didn't have enough time in the segment was that you have to keep in mind the consumer is in the best shape they've ever been and this is a note from uh, Bridgewater Uh, Greg Jensen did it, co-CIO. I know him very well. Great poker player. And um, they covered a bunch of things that were really valuable that I wanted to to go through. First off, uh, the consumer is doing better than ever. And that's been a result of shifting from exclusively monetary policy to adding a huge dollop serving of fiscal policy and we're going to get another 4 trillion before the end of the year with reconciliation whether they do this 1 trillion discrete deal or not it's all going to get pushed through in reconciliation one way or another and um, what you're seeing here in these charts by Bridgewater with Greg, J- Greg Jensen is if you look at household net worth as a percent of GDP, uh, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, it's up about 90%. So from 550% of GDP to 640%. But what's more interesting is the net worth of the bottom 60% by income uh, is really accelerating at the fastest pace relative to income in recent history. It's completely shot up, and that's all the payouts, et cetera. And then uh, finally, the savings rate was, you know, give or take 8% pre-pandemic. It's now up at 20%. It's come off the boil a little bit, but 20% is still high. All that money is going to go back into the economy. And then household debt service. If you remember the last crisis, 2008, 2009, it was like 10.5% debt service as a percent of GDP. Now it's only 7.7%. We haven't seen these levels since the early 80s at the beginning of the last secular bull. So uh, the consumer really couldn't be in better shape at this, this moment. Uh, obviously, some people are still hurting from COVID. That'll get worked through as as uh, Powell keeps pedal to the metal to get full employment it has been his primary objective. Um, but this consumer data was, was, was really interesting. And it does point to we're going to have to keep our eyes open for uh inflation because you can't you know you can sometimes you can get away with it with monetary policy if there's no velocity and it just pushes asset prices up when you're putting it directly into people's hands and what few people are focused on because you know uh a lot of people on Wall Street uh, don't qualify for these checks but uh the checks that they put out starting last month for the um for the uh, child credits i think it's 200 to 250 to 350 per kid that is much bigger than the extended unemployment that everyone was focused on that's rolling off in september so so you're taking away $300 a month and now you're giving you know if if a family has two kids i think it's like 250 to 350 per kid. So let's just say $500 to $700 per kid times 12. You know, seven times 12 is $8,400 a year. And people say, well, it's a tax rebate. But the problem is, is, many of the people that qualify are under $50,000 a year and they don't pay taxes. So it's actually universal basic income. And the current administration has said that um they want to keep this going through 2025 so when you're pushing that kind of money out which is direct payment i i mean you know it, it it's going to it's going to lead to inflation uh that won't that is likely not to be transitory if they really push everything through that they're planning on so we'll keep our eyes on that and that's why we do like the commodity plays over the next 3 to 5 years even if short short term any short term weakness we get or catalyst we get is just an opportunity to buy for the long term but but uh these things seem like they want to get legs again which would be really really nice on top of it but um the, just the quantity of money they're pushing out there is starting to get uh you know really big so uh so that's that then on uh earlier in the week for two days ago or something oh the robin hood when robin hood went up 24 percent, i said it's interesting i met i think it went up on wednesday i met kathy tuesday night we didn't talk about uh robin hood but um I saw the next morning that she had bought on the weakness, The uh, she bought in the 40s, and this thing shot up to like $85 once they saw. And I said, people are trying to jump on the back of Kathy Wood's vote of confidence in Robinhood shares. The catalyst was certainly Kathy Wood putting a sizable position after everyone was downbeat after the IPO. If you remember, it traded down at 8% after the IPO, which I think it IPO'd at $34 or $38 or something like that. Uh, The other thing that happened that day when it took off, and this is the most important thing that I think many people are missing. Charlie Gasparino did touch on it on the claim and countdown that day. He was one of the few reporters to be on top of this. But um, options started trading that day and there was a gamma squeeze. If you looked out, there were 70,000 contracts of um, trying to remember. I think it was the $70 call option. So it was it basically controlled seven million shares and that the dealers sold and they had to then buy the stock. And it turns out and Lydia Mornihan in the New York Post got uh some short interest information from S three uh that said there were like uh, and I'm cuffing this, but I think it was 28 million shares short or something. So it was a short squeeze and a gamma squeeze all in one. They just compressed time. They didn't screw around for months like they did with GameStop. They did it all in one day. And uh, and of course it rolled over. So we'll see how that plays out. But just to put it in perspective, I think it was trading at 43 times sales, trailing sales relative to Schwab was trading at like seven times sales. So, um, you know, you have to take these things with a grain of salt. Structurally, the supp- short-term supply and demand for the paper can go crazy, but intermediate to long-term it reverts back to its intrinsic value and and uh we know that where where that is and it's uh let's just say we're not not buyers of the stock. Uh and then uh Megan Reed from CBC, I guess that's a Canadian Broadcast Company, called me on the back of that Reuters article to go on her radio show, which I did. I don't have the clip for that, but it was basically the same same facts I just shared with you. Um, and then um, the other issue, uh, two things I, I um, what didn't have time to cover on Yahoo, uh, but I wanted to just cover on this call, uh, is in addition to the consumer, you have the Fed accommodative. So even after... They start the taper, which I think will be after February of 2020, after the reappointment of Powell. Um, You're still going to have massive liquidity. Even if they pair back, they're still adding every single month if they go from 120 to 80 or 120 to 100 uh, billion per month and then um, rolling them over, etc. So so the, the liquidity is still going to be massive. The fiscal stimulus is going to be unprecedented in human history. Uh, liquidity is abundant, and the Fed balance sheet is still at all-time highs. And then, lastly, was the outlook? Um, you know, you had a lot of people looking for a seasonal crash, and still doing so. The problem is, is that uh, we've been having a lot of these flash crashes under the surface. If you look at materials, energy, banks, transports, industrials, the last couple of months have been weak, while a uh, few stocks, you know, the Fang basically have has pushed the S and P up. But when you look at the uh, small caps and the Dow, basically the reopening trade, Dow's done nothing for four months. It's traded sideways. And the uh, Russell, the small cap, has done nothing for six months, half a year since February. And we'll look at that in further detail. I want to get to a couple of good ask-me-anything questions from Greg Stewart asks, Hey, Tom, my question is, how do you determine uh, when an option – is at an unusually high or low price this past video cast you talked about your strategy for taking advantage of the recent drop in baba even though you didn't know where the bottom was going to be you noticed put options that were at an unusually high premium and that call prices were unusually low so you sold some put options and used the money to buy even more call options your strategy makes a lot of sense i just don't know how to tell when an option price represents a good opportunity maybe it's too complicated to explain But if you can share how you know when an option price is unusually high or low, I'd find that really interesting, Greg. Great question. So uh, I'm on. uh, This is a tool that anyone can use. Um, It's optionseducation.org. And it's historical and implied volatility. So put in Dollar Tree, for instance. Now, as it relates to Baba on that day... Um, what you basically saw was that it was it was panic and capitulation, and uh, you can only really have a good feel for that through its experiencing it over the years. But if I looked at the equivalent, the movement in the puts incre- the movement in the puts relative to the calls, it was like if a put moved two dollars and fifty cents, the call, the equivalent. Call was moving like a dollar and fifty cents. So it was just like everyone wanted the umbrellas after it was already pouring. Everyone was racing to buy insurance after you had the earthquake. And I was willing to own more stock at a hundred at a hundred seventy after it had fallen that far. Um, so, um, so, so that's the simple answer. That, that, that was largely a feel and just looking at because you really only had 30 minutes to get it done. That was the window of opportunity that was there and you, you were either there or you weren't. Um, but generally, when I'm just proactively looking for new things, what, what are some things I can look at? I can look at its current implied volatility versus its 30-day Historic volatility. So if I look at the average, the 30-day historic volatility when you pull this up, uh, that's the blue line versus its current implied volatility. That's the yellow line. Uh, You know, if the stock is set up, the fundamentals are what I'm looking for and the stock is is trading down. It's where I want it to be uh, and the implied volatility. So it's probably been trading down or grinding sideways for a while where people have forgotten about it and that implied volatility jumps below its historic volatility, um, I'm probably getting a decent price. As a general rule of thumb, I mean, if you can get long-dated premium for 20% implied volatility and you're 12 to 24 months out, you're usually going to make money as long as the business is decent. And at 20% implied volatility, my guess is it's a steady grower uh, and it's just out of favor, whether it's related to rates or time of year or, or uh, a bad earnings report, that means nothing. Uh, so those are some things. But but the way you could, you know, a simple way that you can do on a retail side is if it's meaningfully below its historic uh, realized volatility uh, in the short term and everything's set up, then, then you know you're getting a good price. Now, if you're doing a spread, it doesn't matter because you're going to offset – paying too much on the leg you buy with selling uh uh, high implied volatility on the leg you sell so on spreads it matters less but if you're just buying long dated premium uh straight up that that's generally what you want to look for is it trading below its its realized vol uh current implied vol so next and I got to get through this because I got to get to the finals tonight. <laughs> All right. So uh, second question is from Tom. Thank you for this is from Kai Groteke from Sweden. Uh, thanks so much for what you're doing. Your way of reasoning your thoughts every week has made me a better investor and learned so much more than reading a book or the news. Ray Dalio gave his thoughts on China and I thought it was very helpful in addition to what you explained may be worth sharing. Uh, thank you for doing that. Um, and you can find this on LinkedIn if you go to LinkedIn, uh, Ray Dalio's profile or just Google understanding China's recent moves in its capital markets. So Ray goes through this whole explanation and no one knows China uh, quite as well as Ray because Ray's been going there for three decades a, a, a a good chunk of his assets under management come from China, so he has a vested interest. Obviously, a a huge reservoir of knowledge and experience and contacts, uh, and it, he's basically saying, he's basically saying, you know, they did this. Maybe they should have uh, explained it better. They didn't really mean it, and um, uh, you should you should still invest in China because the growth story is unlike any other. Is the basic summary but uh, read it it was nice to see um and i'll leave it at that but thank you for uh forwarding that kai and then lastly uh sumit says uh sumit kapoor loved your trick of selling puts and using the premium to buy calls i've used the strategy a couple times with some success but i didn't think of using in this situation damn an opportunity missed a few questions regarding the strategy how long did you buy the puts for and why also you mentioned in your commentary we also added some additional call premium which i increased our notional exposure and lowered our effective basis did you mean you sold covered calls if so what was the duration of the calls and rationale thanks for all you do for us and have a great weekend best to me okay good question so um here's the general rule of thumb um when you sell premium you want to sell short dated premium 30 or 60 days max cuz you want time decay to work to your advantage when you buy premium you want to buy long dated minimum you know uh out you know if you can do 12 months it's always better to do 12 to 24 months uh otherwise you know 3 to 6 months if you think the catalyst is imminent and it's going to turn you know, if you think it's going to take a month and a half for the move to happen, buy three to six months. If you think it's going to take three months for the move to happen, buy six to twelve months. Um, and and that's the way to think about it. So you sell short and you buy long is is the general rule of thumb you want to be because you want that time decay to work in your favor, not against you. Uh, Great question from Sumit. So moving right along, uh, this was from Macro Macro Charts again. I like like his stuff. Everyone has a foot out the door. Option traders are again amongst the most negative in 30 years. Most signals led to market bottoms or rally extensions. This remains a wall of worry in full force for months, not even close to complacency. Follow the trend. So he just outlines options, flow oscillator, all exchanges, and then these green lines show what happened next. Uh, I always find his stuff pretty interesting. Uh, next, the National Association of Action, Active Investment Managers, they did push up. Uh, the reason I put this is because on the Wednesday article, it hasn't turned over. I think they report on Thursday. So um, managers are starting to chase as of yesterday. This is that BABA thing. It's trying to climb back here into this wedge. Now we'll see if we, it can break over this wedge. This was what we put out a couple of weeks ago when we broke down and um, – uh, we're we're going to see how this holds up. A lot of lot of positive developments on that front, though. It's obviously had the heart attack. Now it's recovering. Question is, can it can start to push higher? We saw earnings this week. Earnings were great. They, they were a little light, like Amazon on the top line, uh, due to the uh, to the retail. However, they increased their buyback from uh, ten billion to fifteen billion, so by fifty percent. So uh, they're going to be buying right along with you down at these levels uh to support the stock that's that's very good to know uh and the um, okay so the revenue increased from to 205 billion RMB from 153 billion Um, the analysts were expecting 209. That was the issue, uh, why it was down a couple percent after earnings. And then uh, the commerce revenue, though, was up 35% year-on-year. The active customers were up 45 million to about 1.18 billion annual active customers. And um, what else? The – oh, did this article not have – OK. Oh, yeah. Here it is. The cloud computing that what I've been bullish on is and they have international business with is their competitor to Amazon Web Services was up 29 percent year on year. That's growing fa- super fast. And uh, over the next three to five years could overtake AWS if they don't destroy if the Chinese government does not. Uh, put too strong a governor on them. So this thing is just a beast. Uh, Got curbed a little bit by government in the last few months, but I think, uh, you know, if if they just let them go about their business, this is going to continue to roar. And it's nice to see they're putting their money where their mouth is alongside us. Uh, Some unusual options activity, people buying calls out to January, 190 calls, 2,500 contracts. Uh, business groups are now pushing Biden to restart the trade talks with China. That could thaw things. That would be very positive. That came out this morning at 9.32 a.m. Uh, China's harsh education crackdown sends parents and businesses scrambling. I told you this is exactly what was going to happen. The problem is if you live in China and your kid doesn't get good grades, they wind up doing manual labor. And the last thing a parent wants their kids to do is grow up and work in a sweatshop. So, you know, these tutors are absolutely essential and uh, now the government's getting pushed back for shutting or limiting these tutors because all these parents now have to pay double through the nose in the black market to find anyone who will privately tutor their kids so they get good grades, so they get good jobs, hopefully at a company like Alibaba. <laughs> so uh, short-term thinking, uh, and maybe this thing gets reversed, who knows. But I thought that was funny, expected it, and and funny. Uh, as China's recovery wobbles, why? Because they tightened too soon, six to nine months ago. We've covered this. They've started easing, and economists expect more policy easing, which will be a good thing globally and a good thing for China. Uh, Ray Dalio says China's stock still important part of portfolio after crackdown. That's, uh, that speaks to the article Kai sent us, Understanding China's Recent Moves in Capital Markets by Ray Dalio. You can Google it. And Chinese stocks jump as Beijing signals more economic support. So all that's good. Uh, Pfizer followed through. We've we've been talking about this stock forever from the low 30s. And then it finally uh, broke out of its quote unquote cup and handle. We think this can push up to the 50s over the next few months. Uh, But it's had a nice move here. So probably probably rests a little bit in here. And then uh, here's the August chop stock market and sentiment results. So uh, I covered in this article I was on Fox Business uh, on Friday and Monday. The Friday session, we covered in last week's uh, podcast, but we didn't cover in last week's article. And one of the stocks I covered, obviously I covered Novartis and Pfizer, which I had given originally in the mid to low 80s on Novartis and the mid to low 30s on Pfizer. And uh, we, we feel those will continue to push higher over time. I also gave Cigna and Cigna, Absolutely, got decimated after earnings on uh, uh, this week. We had a uh, modest size option, long, longer dated option position in the name. We added fifty percent to that position, and you know, usually when they have a heart attack like this, so they beat on the top line and the bottom line, and they basically same thing as Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree had these these short term spike in costs related to uh, freight. So they took their guidance down. Same thing with Cigna. They have the short-term costs related to um, uh, uh, short-term extra COVID costs. So, um, but... Their revenue continues to grow on the top line and beating expectations. So they have the short term um, lowered guidance in earnings and like people just puked out of this thing. So we added 25. So so basically um, we increased the position by 50 and we're willing to double it. But we didn't do it all at once. We're going to see usually if the patient after the patient has a heart attack, it takes three days. Um, if we miss an opportunity to add that last bit, the other fifty percent to double the position totally um we miss it not not the end of the world but um we you know i think we 'll get an opportunity next week to top it up uh finally and uh I think this stock works its way to new highs by uh early next year, and this is just a short term um uh, overreaction to a high quality company that's just a steady grower right place right time and just creates an opportunity so but but again whether it's stocks or stocks quality merchandise when it's marked down except it usually when you're nearing the end of the markdown you get a final capitulation flush and that's what throws everyone out and then it takes a little time to rebuild strength before the patient can be sent home from the from the ICU and uh, from the emergency room. And then all of a sudden you won't hear anything about it. But in the in the background, it just keeps climbing higher. No one's paying attention to it. And then when it breaks out to new highs, everyone will get excited about it again. And that's when you want to lay off the stock. So I uh, just wanted to address that the Citigroup Dollar Tree and Intel we we covered. And then here, one of the multiple indicators I look at on a regular basis is bullish percent. I do this across all sectors to give me a sense of where the opportunities lie. This indicator measures the percentage of stocks in a particular group or sector that are on a point and figure buy signal. I don't utilize point and figure charting, but I do find this barometer useful when it comes to finding the next sectors I'm going to focus on. So while it may feel like the market's, quote, due for a crash, there have been many, many crashes going on under the surface all summer long and creating opportunities to pick up stock on the cheap. We covered six above here. And looking sector by sector, here are some groups that are closer to probabilistic buy areas versus sell areas. So when I see these sectors, then I look stock by stock and I I see. So you see utilities here. You see materials in particular got slammed. You know, these are points. You can chart up against it. Where if you were a buyer, you did extremely well. Uh, again, the New York Stock Exchange. That's mostly like reopening in cyclicals. Um, uh, transports have gotten hammered lately. Like think uh, airlines, think uh, even cruise lines in it. Well, that when uh, FedEx and UPS have gotten hit lately. Um, some of the truckers. Financials, the banks had that pullback that we had been looking for and talked about uh, that was going to come. It's come over the last couple of months. We think if you had to put new money here, we we have a ton of exposure from last year at much lower levels. But new money, cities cities the most undervalued for new money today. Um, And then uh, energy is pulled back. So now we start to look to add back the 25% we shaved in June. Uh, on weakness over the next weeks and months, and um, consumer discretionary, and then industrials, you saw have taken this pullback. So, um, if the market feels a bit heavy or your portfolio's plateaued in recent weeks, now you know why. Okay, a few stocks have pushed up the S and P, but look here at the small caps and the Dow, basically the reopening trade. Small caps have done absolutely zero since February. And the Dow's done absolutely zero since April. It's been in this sideways range, and now we're looking for it. To, you know, maybe it goes to the bottom of the range. I don't know, but ultimately, work higher, break out to new highs, and uh, and push right along. Um, the bearish sentiment on the AAII retail survey this week uh, jumped from 24 to 31. Nice to see a little fear coming in. Uh, the fear and greed was down to 26. Probabilistically, it pays to be a buyer versus a seller at these levels between zero and twenty-five. Uh, you can see historically, and then this is the chart that we covered. Uh, the active managers jumped in this week, so we'll see there. But I, I again, this is a stock pickers market, and um, you just you know there are major crashes, many stocks down thirty percent. That you don't need to wait for the big storm to cast your net. Number one, the storm might not come. And number two, there have been many rolling flash storms already taking place in the last weeks and months. And if you wait too long to put out some lines in the water, you may find all the best fish are gone. That was our outlook for the week. As for earnings, uh, we covered that. Estimates went up yet again this week. Uh, You can see here. And they keep moving in that direction. I think they're still too low for next year. I think this is going to work up to 230 and beyond and then finally key economic data this week manufacturing PMI came in strong the ISM was a little bit weak so those are mixed factory orders were up that was good Uh, this non-farm payroll was ADP was really weak so people were expecting uh, the jobs report to be mixed and the jobs report blew the doors off Uh, ISM non-manufacturing business activity was very strong Uh, Now people are worried, will Delta slow down in August? Maybe a little, but I'm down here in Tampa. I mean, maybe nothing's ever slowed down in in Florida, but uh, restaurants are packed. Some people are wearing masks. That's nice to see, but um, it's not nice to see. But it's good that people are being somewhat cautious uh, until Delta blows over. But I think we are getting close to that, you know, 50 day, 45, 50 day mark. And hopefully in coming weeks that'll roll over before the fall. Uh, or before school starts, and uh, and we'll put that behind us. Uh, oil, let's see, we had a build of three point six million barrels, so keep an eye on that versus expected draw of three million barrels. And then uh, continuing claims was good. That dropped down. That had been going up pretty much every week. That's a sign of health. Um, and then finally, this week we went over non farm payrolls was nine forty three versus eight seventy. Um, and the unemployment rate dropped down, but wages ticked up a little bit. So those are sticky. We'll keep an eye on that. And consumer credit expanded, so the consumer starting to borrow again. Uh, that's, that's a sign of uh, good spending to come and good health of the economy. So, look, with that said, we've went through a lot of things in a short period of time. It's the middle of the summer. Go out and have a great weekend. Until next week, make it a great one, and thanks for listening in. Bye for now.